This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Travis said, I'm a relationship therapist, that's true. I've been doing that for a long time, that's also true, hence the grey hair. When I started, I had brown hair. Um, so, um, we're going to look at relationships and, oh sorry, friendships. I keep on calling it relationships because I'm used to saying relationships. They're kind of intermingled, but we're using the word friendship. And we're specifically looking at, in light of what does it mean, follower of Christ, to actually understand friendships and, you know, how is that different to anything else in our society? So, to begin, I'd like you to watch this clip. And as you watch it, just notice whatever you notice. Okay, so I want you to uh, talk to somebody next to you, Jeff, for a couple of minutes. Just think of these questions. Did you relate to any of the characters on the clip? One, what did you notice you were feeling through the clip? Did you see any aspects of friendship on the clip? I'll give you a couple of minutes to talk to each other. I'm a therapist, I make people talk to each other. That's what I do for a living.
I can hear the energy dropping. So, because I come from the world of psychological research as well as therapy and stuff like that, because I'm going to look a little bit initially at what the field I work in tells me friendships are. So, here's an interesting definition that comes from a psychological website that talks about what friendship is. And it says, as you can see, a friendship comprises of common interests, which includes history, common values, and equality. There's that word equality again. That's a really big one in our society currently. The article also goes on to say that what a person that you might call worthy of calling friend is, is when they have a commitment to your happiness. I'm not asking you to place your friendship before your principles. And um, they're somehow a good influence. But the psychology world doesn't define what a good influence is necessarily all that well. It just says that they've got to be a good one. What do you think? Does that make sense to you? Does that look like a good definition of what a friend is? What do you reckon? Is that what a good friend is? It's one idea. I'm not saying it's wrong. But you know what? I don't think it goes anywhere deep enough. And it certainly doesn't consider the whole idea of how character is developed for a friendship at all. So, if we begin to look at the Bible, and we look particularly at Colossians, this is a, a, some verses that were looked at in this, this morning's service as well. Have a look at this. Um, therefore, as God's chosen people, that's us who are followers of Christ, that's who we are, we're God's chosen people. Holy and dearly loved, we're supposed to clothe ourselves, that means put this on, decide to actually have this in us, Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. We're supposed to bear with each other, which means we're supposed to care for each other, look after each other. Um, and then we're called to forgive one another. That's a biggie. So if you've got a grievance against somebody, Paul says, we're supposed to forgive because the Lord first forgave us. The essence of the gospel, really. All over these, he uses the word virtues. And if I had time, I'd tell you all about Aristotle and virtues and Plato and stuff. We haven't got time to play with that tonight. But one of them is to put on love, or the main one is to put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So there's something about the whole idea of a deeper level of character that operates within friendship that is crucial for us to understand how we can approach this wisely. So, if you do a comparison between what psychology is saying, just simply, and what the Bible is saying, again, psych research does this. It says, well, we've got the same history, common values, equality, commitment to your happiness, respecting, but the Bible says we're going to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing this on and forgive one another. Now, because God forgave us. Now, I just want to mention this very quickly. I might develop this a bit later. Forgiveness, I think, is what separates us out often. So by that I mean this. In my everyday practice, I see people regularly come in and see me who tell me stories of broken friendships, whether that be friends at school, 
friends that have been friends with a long time, family friends, sometimes we might use the word relationships again. And what I routinely see and what I really want to get across is what happens when people hold a grudge, they become resentful. Now, if I was Yoda, I would tell you that hate leads to the dark side. But I'm not Yoda, although some people used to call me Yoda at college, but it's a different story. Um, I'm going to tell you this. Resentment is the forerunner to contempt. Contempt is the destroyer. Over and over and over again, I see this. And I'm one little therapist sitting in my office working with people five days a week. The contempt that gets fed from holding resentment because people refuse to forgive, which is, the, which is the virtue that Paul is telling us in this Bible, is crucial to the, the development of wise friendship, is absolutely poison. It's not just, okay, you can run around being resentful at someone and be contemptuous, it doesn't matter. Even non-Christian baseline psychology research says over and over again, contempt is the killer. It is one of the biggest things that people in my industry are working with day in, day out and trying to resolve. And so in the non-Christian therapy world, they use phrases like letting it go. They're telling people to let things go because they're seeing just how powerful contempt is and what it's actually doing and destroying not only friendship, but internally the person themselves. It actually poisons us into being very depressed, anxious and disconnected people. So when Paul says this, he's not mucking about just being nice. He's telling us something that's absolutely crucial. So, I'm going to show you another clip of a guy named Sam Albury, who's an educator in the UK, a minister and a thinker and a writer. We tend to put all of our focus on romantic and sexual intimacy, and therefore I think we've downplayed other forms of closeness, such as friendship. So we've turned friend from a noun into a verb. It's just you add someone on social media, hey presto, they're now your friend. Which just means if they have access to your homepage and you have access to theirs, that is friendship to many people in our world today. But in the Bible, if you, especially if you look at the book of Proverbs, a friend, is, a friend is someone who knows your soul. It's not just someone that you have a shared hobby with or occasionally hang out with. It's someone who knows the real you. Who knows what's really going on inside? Um, the Hebrew word for friend is, is very closely related to the word for secret, because a friend is someone you tell your secrets to. Uh, we see this actually with, with what Jesus says in, in John 15, verse 15. Jesus says to the disciples, I no longer call you servants, for a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends because and whatever Jesus says next is gonna show us what he thinks is defining a friendship. He says, I've called you friends because all that the Father has revealed to me, I have made known to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're friends because I'm letting you in on everything. I'm opening up to you. Um, I'm, I'm spilling all the beans. So that I think is why in the Bible, friendship is such 
an honourable and precious thing. It is very intimate. Um, and Proverbs shows us you, you can't be wise in God's world without friendship. Um, that's a word not just to those of us who are, are single, it's a word to those of us who are married. I've seen marriages suffer and implode for a lack of friendship outside the marriage. All of us need friendship. So the Bible actually gives us a wonderful vision for it. It shows us that um, although our culture says sex and intimacy are virtually the same thing, the Bible says, firstly, you can have a lot of sex and no intimacy. That is sadly possible. But it also shows us in what it teaches about friendship, you can have a lot of intimacy that has nothing to do with sex. And we see lots of examples of that. Jesus, we see having deep friendship with the 12, then with the three, and then with the disciple he loved. Paul, similarly, uh, we realize was not just out there on his own. Um, but he was embedded again in a, ma a matrix of close relationships. And so the Bible has a very high view of friendship. And if we're going to be faithful to scripture, we need to have a high view of friendship as well. So Sam Albury is telling us a friend is someone that knows your soul, someone you tell your secrets to. Um, even Jesus had levels of friendships, which we're going to look at in a second, as considered an honourable and precious thing. So when Jesus in John 15, if you've got time at some point to go and read the book of John, it's a very good book to read. If you read chapter 15, you'll see him actually divulge the whole idea of friendship being that he, and he, and he indicates that God... The Father is actually relationally moving towards us, as well as us towards him. And he's got these secrets that he wants to show us. Just depends whether we're actually willing to understand that and go into that type of relationship. So, Sam also mentioned the book of Proverbs. Now, there's lots and lots of Proverbs that talk about friendships. And again, if you want to read a book that really is the book of wisdom, I usually say to some of my clients, my Christian clients that ask me about this, there's 31 days in a month and there's 31 Proverbs. You read one chapter of Proverbs a day over and over and over, you're going to grow an understanding of wisdom. Because that's what that book's all, one of the wisdom literature books, that's what it's all about. It's giving us advice, helping us to think. But here's some classic ones that I just wanted to put up for the very reason to also point out that one of the mistakes I keep seeing people make, and I've got to say I've made this mistake myself, is that we can be so arrogantly locked in an idea that we don't realise that as clever as we are and as close to God as we are, if we're not careful, we can be influenced by society around us. In some ways, that's arguably always happening. The Bible's trying to say something very specific, and that is, be careful who you bring into the closest level of friendship. So when we talk about wisdom towards friends, it's a bit of a misdemeanor to think that everybody's got to be our best mate. It's actually, I'm going to show you that in a second. It's actually not true. What the scriptures are saying is this, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. You can be led astray as much as you can't. You think you might. It's very simple. Or do not be a friend to one who has a bad temper and never keep company with a hothead or you will learn his ways and set up a trap for yourself. 
And finally, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and you can get in trouble. So again, if you've got the time, read the book of Proverbs. Or if you want to, Google friendship verses out of Proverbs and you'll find heaps of them. You'll find these ones and you'll find others that talk about a friendship is closer than a brother and things like that. But in essence, I really want you to understand that friendship is something that is so precious, but we are very easily fooled and we are very easily led astray and we don't even know we're doing it. So, when I was talking with Lewis about developing this for you guys, um, we talked about an idea which is called the pyramid of relationship or friendship, which is often drawn as a bullseye as well, but I'm using a pyramid tonight, but don't worry, I'm going to explain them all to you. So we go from five down to one, um, five being the biggest and one being the smallest. But I want to make this really clear. It's not true, in my view anyway, that everybody that even sitting in this building tonight has to be your best friend or you have to tell them absolutely everything about you. I would suggest to you that there are people here tonight, I know it's true for me, who I don't even know and you don't know me, so why would you tell me deep, intimate details about you? It's a bit crazy, but there's this expectation running that somehow you're supposed to, like there's this idea that just if we're Christians and we're somehow connected by a church, that means you've got to know everything about me and if you ask me anything I'm supposed to tell you, it's absolutely rubbish. But there is a process that develops friendship. But this idea that everybody's got to know everything, absolutely not true. And in fact, if you go into a friendship with someone that demands to know everything about you really quickly, I'd suggest to you that person may be dangerous. Not necessarily, but I'm telling you, by and large, those people that demand to know everything very quickly are quite dangerous relationally. Because they often don't open themselves up, but secondly, they're pushing the boundaries too fast. So, level five. We're on level five up there? I've got it? Yeah. Which is normal and okay. It's called strangers. So they're members of society or around that um, where there are no opinions and no emotions and there's no connection. I usually call it shopping centre communication. It's the people that you talk to about stuff when you're standing in line. Do you know, how's the weather? Oh, how's that? It's that kind of a level. And it's a fine. It's actually not, not a, the beginning of a friendship, but it's not that deep. Level four, we call acquaintance in my world, which means members report, they talk to each other about their opinions and their thoughts, but they usually don't talk much about their feelings. Because that's the risk is getting higher. Level three, you call them casual friends. So we discuss emotions and we, cert we talk about certain subjects. So the risk is getting higher. Can you see that? Level five, it doesn't matter, you know. Level four, a bit riskier. Level three, hmm, starting to talk about thoughts and feelings. It's a bit more risky. Level two, we're calling close friends. So they're the sort of people that we do talk about our thoughts and feelings. We talk about our struggles and our fears and anxieties and them with us. So it comes along the same trajectory. It's not like we're just the ones doing the talk and they do that with us as well. But it's really important to know that level one, which is the most intimate level of friendship that uh, Sam Albright talked about, that most intimate level of friends, that's where you're talking deeply about your thoughts and your feelings and they're usually talking to each other about how you feel about the other as well as the issues you're facing. So you want a high level of trust 
to actually take someone to that level inside yourself and more than likely there may be two or three people that function at that level for you. It's a misdemeanour, it's actually wrong to think that you're supposed to have 10, 20 people at that level. It's incorrect and it's actually psychologically not sustainable. It just doesn't work. So it's normal that your deepest friends, the people that know the most about you, that you tell your secrets to, there's probably a not a lot of them. Do you make sense to you? It's levels. But we, we get it wrong all the time. We think somehow we've got to stay open to everybody. It doesn't work. So, pragmatically, I then decided to look at what's called the most five destructive things that can destroy friendship. So it's like a pragmatic end for you. Number one, if you're in a friendship with somebody and they have a deep need to always prove to you that they're right and you're wrong. In my, in my language, which remember I'm an old guy that comes from the 60s and we used to watch a television show called Lost in Space. Anybody remember Lost in Space with a robot and his head went up and down like that? No, I don't know. Had a big head, his robot went up and his arms went like that and he used to say, Danger, Will Robinson. That was his phrase, Danger, Will Robinson, Danger, Will Robinson. You've probably seen the other series of Lost in Space that was made a little while ago, if you're a Trekkie or a space person like me. But that's what this is about, danger, danger, danger. When a person needs to be right in the friendship with you, if they need to prove that you're wrong, it's a warning sign. So they're arguing with you for the sake of being right. Number two, when a person wants to control you. So generally... In that sort of relationship, you feel like you have no rights to your own feelings, thoughts or choices if they're not the choices that they want you to have. That's called control. It's not healthy for relationships. Number three, which is one of the biggest ones that creates dramas in relationships and one of the ones that's hardest to explain and misunderstood a lot. In my world, we call it unbridled self-expression. It simply means that the person says whatever is on their mind with no kindness or respect or consideration about how that might affect the other person. So instead of believing that what they have to say is so important, the other person therefore must have to hear it. In other words, when I get this in my room, it sort of sounds like this. I don't care what you think, I need to tell you exactly what's on my mind because... I'm important, whatever I want to say is you absolutely need to hear it. Or the Christian version, which I sometimes hear the stories of, the person goes up and says, God has told me that I have to tell you this, and regardless of whether this hurts you or not, I'm going to say blah, 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 because you need to hear it. The problem with that is that person hasn't necessarily considered very well the impact of that on the person they're talking to which is where the destruction comes, where the resentment, like I said before, where the resentment builds or where the control comes in. Unbridled self-expression, my right to tell you whatever I think because I think you need to hear it or if you're in a friendship with someone that does that to you or if you're doing that to somebody, danger. It is incredibly unhealthy and incredibly um, dangerous for a relationship. Retaliation comes another one that turns out. So if you're in a friendship with someone when you actually tell them something that you think and feel or how you're experiencing them and they retaliate, 
by I'm not talking to you or when my kids were younger, my, our kids are all old there, but you know, when they're in their 40s, that makes them old, I suppose. Um, they would say, talk to the hand, Dad. So I would talk to the hand, by the way. That's, that's what you do if you're a parent, you talk to the hand. I would say, hand, can you tell Michael blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know what to do with that one. But it's that kind of idea, retaliation, I'm not talking to you, I'm locking you out. And finally, what people do is they withdraw relationship when they're not happy with you. So they punish you by not listening or not caring. And withdrawal, again, is an incredibly, incredibly painful thing that people go through in friendship that really does create dysfunction and destroy it. So I'm just about finished, and the reason I did this quickly was, I think, Lewis, I don't know whether you want to ask me some questions. We talked about whether you wanted to run some questions at me, and I said I'd be game enough to answer them, and if I can't answer them, I'm going to get Travis or Johnny up to answer them, I reckon, because <laughs> I don't know if I can answer them. But I want to leave you with this before we finish, and that's this. This is the back end of Colossians 3. I think this is an incredibly powerful passage. Let me read it to you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body... You were called to peace. That's really important to understand. We Christians, as friends and with wisdom, we are called to be people that bring about peace. Be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs, spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father for him. Brothers and sisters, you hold this. You keep this. You read this. And you ask yourself, am I doing this? And you read the other section in Colossians. Am I a person of peace? Am I working at love, kindness, graciousness, compassion? And am I looking at where I hold grudges? And am I feeding a resentment? Or am I working towards a higher ethic, which I'm called to as a Christian, which is to forgive for the sake of the friendship? And why? Because Jesus himself even said, it is that valuable. It's not something we play with. Okay. Lewis, do you want to ask me some questions or am I allowed out? Yep. Can we, can we go backwards? Yeah. Oh, that one. That one? Yep. Yeah, with the, with the last five things. Um, I guess there's two ways to look at it. And yep. all of us have potentially done these. Oh, yeah. And oh, all yeah, of yeah. us have experienced them. Mm-hmm. And so if there's people in the room who are experiencing this, uh, whether maybe they read it and they go, oh, um, yeah, that hits something hard. So hits yeah. something hard. Oh, I can be a good, <laughs> yeah. bit controlling. Or oh, I feel like I'm being controlled. What should people in this room do? To uh, what? Yeah, what's what's the next step? Say if someone someone someone's experiencing this in a friendship, what should they do? Um, okay. See the part of me says come and see the therapist, but that's yeah, that's not always the case. <laughs> I say it's like I'm looking for work, which I promise you I'm not. But you know. <laughs> Um, I'm hoping, the answer to your question, I'm hoping that there are other people in their life that they can talk to about what they're experiencing. Does that make sense? That they're just not locked in this, because if they are, then you probably do need to really think about what's going on. So if they've got other people they can talk to, 
and actually say, this is what I'm experiencing. Can you help me think this through? Hopefully they've got some friends, maybe down at level two or three, that they can really trust, that they can sit down and work this through. Well, of course I'm going to say, and it's true, depending on your age bracket, whether you've got youth, youth ministers, youth leaders, pastors, people like that, who can also help you think that through, or therapists like me who help you think that through. But fundamentally, I'd like them to seek back into relationship to work that out, because, you know, you can be damaged in relationship deeply, but you can also be incredibly healed in them if you've got the right people. You know, that makes sense? Yeah. Any other questions? I don't think so. Oh, beauty. <laughs> Anyone else got anything else want to ask anything before yeah, I run any, away? Any questions from the room? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I nearly put that in. I was thinking about whether I should put like the building blocks of building a relationship. I'm glad you asked me. And I thought, oh, I wasn't sure I had enough time because we're in red by two already. I'm going, oh, I'm um, yes, yes. If you want to look at the building blocks of a healthy relationship, they really are quite simple. This is really, this is, I'll, I'll shut up in a second. Tell me if I'm rattling on too much, right? No, you're good. So if you look at generations, so for instance, I'm 61. That's how old I am. So I'm what's called a baby boomer. There's another baby boomers in the room. So what that means is, like last night we had dinner with some friends. So for friendship for us, by and large, with baby boomers means you seek them out and you sit in your room and you talk to them, right? Okay. And then what we tend to do is we tend to look at them with eye contact and we tend to listen and respond. If you go down the gen, that sort of again Gen Ys, Gen Xs, what they call Zoomers, which is a lot of the bracket of people from 24 down, they have a very different way of relating than we do. They, there's, there's a lot of pressure on them. So, you know, everything's done through, is it through um, Messenger, correct? Messenger? Is it now Messenger people use or is it Snap? What's, what's the one they use? I'm, I'm getting too old myself. Oh, you're getting too old. <laughs> Anybody tell me what it is? Is messages? So, in other words, you send a message and if you haven't got a response within half an hour, somehow you're interpreting that as somehow the person doesn't like you. That kind of stuff. And what happens is it does, it creates anxiety, it builds anxiety in people, and they end up again getting really stressed and worrying that someone hasn't responded. And of course, then people have phones on all night rather than being able to sleep. They're so worried that something's going to happen, they've got their phone on all night. Of course, they're getting tireder and sicker and all that, and parents are getting cranky at them and all that. But to answer your question, it's about eye contact. Eye contact is really important. Sorry? Uh, you, my, you hate texting. All text. my arguments with my, my, my girlfriend uh, all because... Texting. Because yeah. There's, no mis, there's miscommunication. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I remember when I first had a mobile phone, this is a thousand years ago, I texted somebody <laughs> and I didn't realise I'd put it on um, capitals. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then this person wrote back to me, why are you so angry with me? And I think I said something like, yes, I'll see you at this time and date. And have I done something to offend you? And I'm reading and going... And then someone had to point out to me it was in capitals, which is why. As a simple example, I went, oh, my goodness, this is getting way too nuanced for me. So eye contact, um, listening more than speaking, and, and expressing it a bit... Sorry? How do you listen over text? That... Well, you don't. You see, you see, that's what I'm saying. The, the, the challenge is to actually be in a relationship. You've actually got to be in the room with them often and talking with them. That's the tricky part. Or you're on the phone where you can actually hear tone. Because tone of voice. Because tone of voice is really important. I think you should book a session with him, Jim Boy. Oh, okay. <laughs>
Actually, you can right, pay mate. for this, mate. You can pay for this in a private room. <laughs> Actually, I'll just, I'll just give you my card, you know. But it's, no, you're marking some really important, but it really does come down to that. The amount of people, especially the Zoomers, by the way, who struggle to look at people's faces is incredible. And by the way, and I'll just, I'll just finish that, because you asked a good thing. Most people interpret relationship through faces and how you respond to a face. So people are reading your faces at 0.003 of a second, the experts say, and they make assumptions, and the assumptions form how they feel and how they respond and behave before you've blinked. That's how fast it is. So I have them in the room. If I'm doing couple therapy, classic ones I do, I can see people, they see each other's face, and don't you say that? I saw that look, and I didn't even see the look. They know exactly what's going on, and they've interpreted and it's organised how they feel and how they respond and how they talk to each other and what they think's going on in the relationship and there's a high chance it's wrong. But nonetheless, they read faces and they assume they're right, which is what we do. We think that whatever we think is correct and we never stop and slow down and go, hmm, what if I'm wrong? Let me check that. We don't do it. We just assume we're correct. Hmm. Hence the problem. Yeah, I'm convicted. Which then gives me a job. Bring it to the session. Talk to Lewis. Talk to Lewis. <laughs> anything else? Anything else before we finish? Hey, I, I think this has been awesome, and I'd love to have you back. <laughs> Can we give Neil a round of applause? Yeah. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.